Hey, Pioneers, welcome to episode number 372. So today is the last part of our Q&A session, which I hope you've been enjoying as much as I have. Today is part four, and this is really just a bunch of general questions, but some really fun ones. And I ended up saving these set of questions until last because y'all really made me think on some of these, which is funny because some of the ones that I really had to sit and ponder on the most, when you hear them, you're going to be like, well, it doesn't really sound like that hard of a question, but I had to really sit and give some of these some thoughts. So we are just going to dive straight into them. First one is from Evergrowing Abby and says, what kind of wood stove do you have? We have a lopi. We got it. We live in a manufactured home, which is a fancy way of saying a double wide. So we live in a double wide and we got our lopi when we moved into it, which was in 2006. So we had it installed. The um, are certified, I, I shouldn't say certified, but approved. They're known for being able to be used in double whites, trailers. And it's been a really good stove. We got the kind so that it has the flat uh, top so that I've, I can cook on it. So it actually has an area that I can put a couple of pots, a couple of pans, skillets, etc. And that was really important to me that it had a large enough flat surface on the top of it that I could actually cook on it because we lose power quite often here and now I've got a propane stove. So I actually will be able to use our stove when the power is out. And we have a larger generator. But even with our larger generator, when I had our electric oven and stove range, the generator would power it, but it wasn't normal power, meaning like it would take way longer to cook stuff. It was kind of uneven. And so I just really wasn't that comfortable using it. It also was not effective. And now that we've got the propane, I could actually cook just fine on it. But it's kind of like in the winter time, and we use lose power all year round, but more so usually in the winter. And of course, it stays out longer in the winter usually. And we've already got the wood stove going. So I wanted to make sure that it had a surface that I could easily cook on top of it because it's kind of silly to not use that when the wood is already going and it's good and hot. Like, why wouldn't you use something that's already there? So we really do enjoy our low-pie wood stove and have had it for, I'm going to try to do the math real quick in my head, not one of my fortes, but going on 16 years now. Yeah. Same original. We haven't replaced anything on it. Uh, it's all original from the moment it came in. This one is from Jack Attack. How do you stay motivated on a daily basis? Oh gosh, this is a good question. And this is kind of one of those that I, I felt was a little bit hard because I can't say that I'm motivated all the time. Like there's days when I wake up, I am not like, yay, let's go get them. I mean, like when it's really nasty out and I've got 101 things to do, I got to be honest, I'm not necessarily feeling motivated to go out in the ick in the weather to feed the cows, especially when things break. <laughs> I had a week, I had a moment uh, a couple of weeks ago when it was, it, we have we had like four inches of snow and then it switched to rain, which I would rather just have straight rain or straight snow. It's the absolute worst when it's half and half. It's actually colder out because, you know, you're just hovering right at freezing. But that rain, it's really heavy rain, too, when it's almost ready or it's mixed and it's almost ready to switch over to snow. And it just 
penetrates and the cold, I don't know, it, it's hard to explain. Like I know, obviously like, you know, 10 degrees and all of that, like that is cold, but it's a different type of cold, if that makes any sense, when it's a dry cold and it's still cold, don't get me wrong, but when you're hovering like 33 degrees, 32 degrees even and raining, where the stuff's like still frozen, but it's raining on top of it, and then it's just a slushy, it's just a, it's a horrible mess. I'll, I'll quit complaining about it. But I had a morning where I had to go out and feed, and when it's like that, it's actually harder on the animals. So it's even more important that you are feeding twice a day because they're, they need to be eating all day long in order to keep themselves warm. And it that, that type of rain, like snow will just settle on the, their backs, and then and then that's it. And it actually acts as insulation. Whereas that pelting rain, when it's that cold, it soaks them and they get really cold. So there's feeding. You can't get away with really just feeding once a day. You have to feed multiple times a day, especially with the cattle. And I went out and we use our four-wheeler in order to haul the hay out when we're not using the big round bales. And we actually, they finished the round bale faster than they usually do because they were so cold. So I had to hand feed some hay until my husband got home and we could get a round bale in for that night. And I went out, <laughs> the four-wheeler the four wheeler gear got froze because it was so cold, even though I'd been letting it warm up. And it was just one of those mornings where I'm like, why, why, why am I doing this? And I know why, because I had to feed the cows, right? They're, my, they're our responsibility. But it was what I was not feeling motivated is where I was am going with this. I was not feeling motivated. I wanted to be inside by the fire. It was cold. I was not feeling well, honestly, that day. But the kids were had already left for school. My husband was at work. It just had to be done. So I don't know that I have honestly motivated on a daily basis, but discipline. Like sometimes I am not feeling motivated and if I don't want to do it, but I know I have to do it. And I know there's not a choice. I mean, yes, there's technically a choice, but not really. Like I don't give myself a choice. The cattle have to be fed and I'm the one that is going to be doing it on that day. Um, Kind of with everything, like we need to eat and because I don't always feel motivated to cook from scratch all the time, to be honest. I do love cooking from scratch. I like good food. But I'm not, there's moments where I'm like, I don't want to cook tonight or I don't want to cook for the, I don't want to prep Sunday. I don't want to do my two hours of prep time, which really takes us through like between an hour to two hours. But then if I put it in, we've got food for almost all of our meals except dinner in one way or fashion for the entire week. But I'm not always motivated to do it. Again, though, it's being disciplined enough that you're not giving yourself a choice. You're just going to do it. And I will say that there are times, yes, when, you know, I'm like, okay, we are going to get a frozen pizza from the grocery store, or we're going to go to the local, our little fabulous local burger joint um, in the town near us, and that's going to be dinner tonight. But I know that that's not something that we can do every night and it's not something we can do all the time. Like that's just kind of special and usually planned in. But on the motivation part, I'm like, well, one, we need to eat <laughs> and we don't have options out here, which probably helps. There is no, um, what are the, like Uber Eats, DoorDash. I know there's some different apps or where people will deliver food to you, like from restaurants. We don't have that here. Um, we have to drive quite a ways to get to any place like that. We're about, 
like I said, we have some local restaurants, but to actually get to somewhere that's like normal fast food chains that you would recognize, like Subway, those types of things, you're looking at a good, good 45 minute drive one way. So that's just not, it's not an option or something I'm not willing to do. So I know that we're either not going to have food that night or we're going to be eating like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And healthy food is really important to me. So I might not necessarily feel motivated in the moment, but again, I just don't give myself a choice. It's something that needs to be done. And I think part of that, I don't know. Here's interesting. I love your guys' food for thought on this. Can work ethic be taught or is it something that you're born with? I don't know. I've always been highly motivated or had a strong work ethic, but it was modeled for me. My dad is one of, was one of the hardest working people I have ever met, like bar none. He would get up early in the morning, you know, sometimes depending on if it was the summertime and where they were hauling from. And he'd be up, you know, 3 a.m. to get up to the top of the mountain to be first load out so that he could get as many loads in as possible in that day because that's how he got paid. He was he was a log truck driver. He owned his own log truck. And then he had a second one. He had a, a driver hired. He had his own log truck company. And then we always raised our cows. And so dad would get up, like I said, sometimes about 3 a.m. in the morning in order to get out the door. And then he would get home in the early evening usually around five o'clock and we would have dinner and then he was back outside you know greasing the trucks doing any type of mechanicing stuff that needed to be done on the trucks especially in the summertime um, and then he would be back in and you know go to bed like at eight because he had to get up a bit like you know three three o'clock in the morning usually um, so any any stuff you know around the house that had to be done, and as well as all of the maintenance on the trucks, and so that was both trucks. Uh, you know, if something was going down, at the very least greasing and just getting them ready to go for the next day. Then, of course, in the winter months, we had to feed, and we fed square bales. And when I was young, Dad had about 130 head of cattle, and so that was oh boy, it's been a while, guys. I think that was between 30 and 40 bales a night that had to get fed. So that meant backing the truck into the barn. I learned how to drive a stick shift and back a truck at eight years old into the barn because I was the only kid left at home at that point. And so I would back the truck into the barn. At eight, I couldn't really lift the bales yet. I could push them off the top of the stack. And sometimes, now looking back, I'm like, dad was so tired, he didn't want to crawl, literally scale the hay all the way up to the top of the rafters of the barn. So sometimes he would back it, um, he would back it partially in and ha he would have me go up to the top of the stack, which I just thought was like greatest fun ever. I would go up to the rafters and I would push the bales off and then he would load them into the truck. Um, other times, depending on where the stack was, we would I would just back it all the way in and then he would just load the truck. And then we would, of course, you're loading those 30 to 40 bales and then you're, I would drive really slow through the field and dad would cut them and you know, throw them off the back um, and feed. And so that would take however long and then we'd have to go and check water if it was freezing, if we had to break ice. I mean, so he we were doing all of that and that would take... I had to have taken at least an hour. 
maybe more. I'm trying to think back. And so that would, of course, be after he got home from driving log truck all day, maintenancing the trucks. Then we would go and do that. And then he would come home and usually just go straight to bed. So and then weekends were fix and fence, (laughs) you know, big mechanic projects on the truck. Of course, regular house stuff that maintenance needs to be done. So I guess where I'm going with that is like I I don't ever remember really seeing my dad rest very, very rarely. Um, Sometimes in the evening we would, if we were home and we would sit, especially if it was going into the weekend. And sometimes he would watch a little bit of TV and other times we would listen to, we had a record player and we would listen to Hank Williams Sr. was his favorite. And so we would listen to some Hank Williams Sr. songs, but we didn't really go on vacation. He didn't take leisure time never went to sports things like I just remember him always working and I don't know if it's selective memory or I just never picked up I don't remember hearing him complain very much like you know when a cow got out we had to go fix fence and maybe it was in the middle of the night like I'm sure he didn't enjoy it because I don't enjoy it when my cows get out and I have to chase him Timbuktu to get him back in and then go fix fence but I don't I don't remember him complaining being pessimistic or or grumping about being tired he had to have been because by the time he had me uh, my mom was his second marriage and I mean he was up in his 50s by that time he had to have been tired because I'm 40 almost 42 and there's times where I'm a lot tired than I recall being you know 10 years ago when I was in my early 30s so I don't know if it's just because I saw that modeled like you just get it done or if that's something that you kind of just are almost born with? I don't know. A very interesting question though. So I don't know that I stay motivated on a daily basis. I I feel like I'm disciplined and I don't give myself a choice. And I remind myself, if you don't do this, this is your alternative. And because I've had so many health issues um, with the esophagus and the biopsies and all of that, I know that if I don't do it, and fall back on like convenient stuff or buying, uh, you know, meat that's not raised to the health standards and the ethical standards that I want, I know that that choice is not just taking the easy route for the moment. I know that it could put me back in a place where I'm having to have another biopsy and or down the road could be a cancer diagnosis. Now, you know, I mean, I could still, that still could happen to me, not just because I'm I mean, even with making these health choices, but I know that the amount of healing I've had by doing these things, I'm drastically reducing that and the quality of my life is a lot better. And so I keep that front in mind too. Like, why am I doing this? So even if I don't feel motivated, I know what's at stake if I don't. I hope that helps. I wish I had a a more very straightforward answer for you, but I really don't. I think it's kind of a combination of those things. Today's podcast is sponsored by Azure Standard. Azure Standard is one of my favorite places to go for almost everything in the house and even some in the barnyard because they also carry livestock feed. One of my favorite to get from them is the Scratch and Peck brand because they have the organic Scratch and Peck that is both soy and corn free and that is what we use primarily when it comes to our chicken feed for our laying hens. The great news is, is 
Azure Standard has drop zones almost all over the entire United States now, meaning that almost everybody can order from them. So you place your order online and then you punch in your, well, you punch in your zip code first and it will show you your nearest drop zones and what those days are. So you place your order, you have a specific cutoff date that your order has to be in by and then it gives you your delivery date. And then you go, comes in on a truck, depending on how much you ordered, could come in on a pallet, uh, but it comes in boxes and bags. And then you just go and pick up your entire order at once. And even after your order is placed, oftentimes I'll do that. I'm like, okay, I know this is what I need. And so I'll place the order so that I don't forget to place it by the cutoff date. But then before that cutoff date comes, I'll be like, oh, I need to actually add this. And so you can go in and add to your order up to your cutoff time. That has saved my bacon because there's been many a time where I meant to, I was like, oh, I know I wanna add some more stuff to this one, I'm gonna come back to it later. And then I would forget and I would miss my cutoff time. And then it would push back being able to get my order uh, to further down the road and I was out of some of the things. So that's kind of one of my little tips is take advantage of that, place your order. And for new customers, we have a coupon code, which is pioneering10. So for brand new customers, 10% off of your first $50 order or more when you order from Azure. Now, this one's from Lisa J. And she says, where do I start? It's all overwhelming. And Lisa J, the thing is, is you really, you just pick one thing and that's where you start. Because to try to do it all, I still even feel overwhelmed. Like I, I, we will look at all that we need to get done, you know, for the year, even sometimes the month, sometimes even the week, depending on where it is, and all feel overwhelmed. But really, if you just start and you focus on the first thing that needs to be done first and you keep it there and then it's just the very one next thing instead of the whole big picture, it's kind of like that old saying or adage I've heard, like, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. That's how you do it is one project at a time and it's one step of that project at a time. So as, as far as where to start, My best advice is start in the kitchen because you might not be able to grow things right now, depending on the season, the space, you know, whatever. That might not be an option for you, but you can start in the kitchen. So one thing that you're buying processed, pre-made from the store, pick one thing that you're eating on a weekly basis or a daily basis even better. Start making that one thing at home from scratch with good whole quality ingredients, whole food ingredients, one thing. Once that becomes normal, part of your routine, add the next thing. And kind of the same thing really with the garden or the livestock, whatever. If you can't raise it yourself, can you buy from a local farmer? If you can't buy from a local farmer, can you at least buy something that is raised better than what would just be your regular kind of normal agriculture? So for example, like if you're just buying the cheapest possible eggs that you can find, If you can't raise chickens yourself, if you can't find a a local farmer or a local neighbor, whatever, that you could go and get the eggs from, then could you at least pick a brand that is either certified organic or is truly free range, you know, some, you know, like that, because there's always going to be, you know, better, best, that type of thing. Pick one step further ahead from where you are right now. Pick the next best thing and then move from there. But at least you're making forward progress and that will give you momentum and it will lead to the rest of the things that you want to do over time. If it's with growing a vegetable garden, again, like 
if you don't have a lot of space and and the thought of doing a huge garden where you're growing over 50% of your own food for the year, you're like, no way. What's your favorite thing to eat? Fresh vegetable wise that grows in your climate and then grow just that one thing. Maybe it's just lettuce. Lettuce is super easy to grow. Germinates really fast, can be grown in pots. You know, maybe you decided that, or maybe it's a pot of basil. Maybe it's just some herbs, even on your windowsill. Like a lot of herbs you can actually grow on the windowsill very easily in a really small pot. But pick one thing and just get started with it. This is from hmm, the Rabbit Hole Creative, I think. <laughs> and says, my least favorite farmer house responsibility and my favorite. And This sounds hilarious, but this question I had to really sit and think about. Like, what is my least favorite? I mean, I can't say that I love doing dishes, but is it my least favorite? No. So I think that my least favorite, and here was my process for figuring this out. What is the thing that I know needs to be done but I don't do it because that must be the thing that is really my least favorite because I do the dishes. Dishes get done every day. I don't do them every, I don't physically do them every day. The dishes get done in our house every day, but sometimes the kids have a dish night. My husband takes a dish night. We, we share it, even though I, I do the dishes more nights. Most most of the time I have a few more nights than the, the kids and my husband do, but the dishes are getting done. So by process of not actually getting done, cleaning the shower. I don't know why. (laughs) I really don't like cleaning the shower. I have no idea why. But I have, that's probably my least favorite and one that I will put off way longer than one probably should, if I'm being honest. As far as my favorite though, I don't know that I have a house favorite. Like there's a lot of house responsibilities and stuff that again, like I just get them done because they have to be done and I'm not willing to live without them being done. Like, but my favorite, it's actually pruning the fruit trees. I love to prune our fruit trees. In fact, (laughs) I don't let anybody else prune our fruit trees. Like my husband, he would do it, but I, I, I love to prune the fruit trees. I think what it is is because... I, it's it's an experiment in a way. What I mean by that is I can see like, okay, I'm making this cut this year and the thoughts that it's going to create, you know, either it's going to open it up, like we've got too much crowding or I need better horizontal growth here um, or I want to, you know, encourage the tree to quit putting so much growth up top, I'm going to try to eliminate the amount of water spouts that we have coming out of this. So there's like all of this like thought. And so then you make the cut, right? Then you make the cut, you do the pruning, right? And then it's seeing, did it do what I wanted it to the following year? Because you have to wait a while. And I don't that might drive some people crazy, but I just find it fascinating. It's like this continual experiment, like on how can I make this tree be the most productive, do what I want it to do, and shape it with the act of pruning. I don't know, I, I love it. So I will actually, I'll go out and I'll you know study the trees throughout 
the different seasons and be like, okay, I think I'm going to make, I think we're, when it comes to pruning, because I do summer pruning, which there's, I have a whole episode, YouTube video, et cetera, on summer pruning and why we do that now. But throughout the year, I will go out all the different seasons and look at the trees and make notes. Okay, this is how we're going to try this. I think this is what we're going to do. And so that when summer comes and all ready to go, the trees are just ready to be pruned and we get them pruned. But yeah, pruning fruit trees is one of my favorites. Okay. Eva W. asks, easiest to grow for beginners, easiest thing to can. Easiest thing to grow for beginners, that kind of varies. Like a lot of things are actually easy to grow, but I would say something like lettuce is really easy because it grows so fast and doesn't tend to be something that has as many, uh, like you don't have to worry about it bolting as fast as you do things like spinach and and it just has a, a longer a longer like climate wise I feel like lettuce is more forgiving and easier to grow and it's something that will grow relatively quick so you kind of get that fast reward which feels really nice when you're growing and you it's not something that's super fussy like you're worrying about blossom end rot or too much nitrogen and it and the flower is not setting fruit uh, I feel like it's it's pretty forgiving and an easy thing to grow and get started with plus you can direct sow it it not something that you have to worry about seed starting. So I think lettuce is a great one. Easiest thing to can. Honestly, once you get over the fear of pressure canning, it is way easier to raw pack and can vegetables as far as your prep time and sometimes even your processing time than it is to water bath things like pickles and jams. Like they have a lot more because it's like getting it to set if you don't know how to do that or pickles to make sure that they turn out crisp. Um, I actually feel for the hands-on amount of time, raw packing something like green beans doesn't have a long, super long processing time. You can literally put the raw green beans in the jar, cover it with water that's just came off a boil, hot water, and you put it in there and you process your pints, depending on your altitude, it's 20 minutes. That's really fast. So I know a lot of people get intimidated by pressure canning, but honestly, I find pressure canning in a lot of instances less hands-on time and easier than some of the water bath. Jen Harp, what food do you want to grow but haven't yet? I had to sit and think on this one. One of the things that I would like to grow but haven't yet would be ginger and citrus. Here in the North, citrus is real touchy because we are cold enough that a lot of your citrus is not going to make it through because we can get down to five degrees, you know, single digits uh, overnight lows. And most citrus are not going to survive that. But I have a friend who has successfully grown a lot of citrus here and all different kinds of varieties. And he is going to actually be one of the guest teachers at the workshop we have at the farmstead this year or coming year in May of 2023. We'll have those workshop tickets up really soon with the dates. But he has actually been cultivating specific hardy citrus that he is growing here and that's doing well. And so he's going to have those plants and fruit trees that he's been grafting and doing cuttings on for sale. And I absolutely plan on getting some myself. So that's one that feels because of my love of fruit trees, right? And, and pruning is my favorite. That one I'm really excited to see what type of citrus could I get to grow here because 
right now, all the citrus pretty much I have to buy. Like, I mean, I'm not able to grow it ourselves. Little Mountain Girl, how to do this alone on a very low income in the burbs? Well, you definitely can do it alone. And if you're in the burbs and on a low income, you know, really is, again, starting in the kitchen. Because usually making something from scratch in the long run is cheaper than buying a processed version. I mean, yes, a bag of flour costs more than a bag of Dorito chips. And I'm not saying that you're eating Doritos. I I don't know that. But where I'm going with this is oftentimes people are like, well, you know, this processed box of something or bag of something pre-made, etc., is cheaper than if I buy the bag of flour, you know, all the ingredients that it would take to make it up front. But in the long run, you're using that bag of flour to make so many different things with those other ingredients that it is cheaper in the long run. So I would say to first start in the kitchen, and that's kind of a theme. I always say start in the kitchen because we usually that's where it's easiest to control. And then, you know, look at you're in the burbs. So what can you do in your space? You likely can grow something and you might be on low income, but you can get creative and use all different kinds of things for pots to grow things, especially small, shallow rooted things. So things like basil, uh, lettuce, even radishes, like breakfast radishes, they don't need very much space for their roots. So you could literally use like milk jug cartons, right? You could use those to grow some small things in. Um, Yeah, you'd need to buy some seed and some potting soil. Um, but you would be able to grow things and multiple things throughout the season in there because those are shorter growing time. Um, you know, look, is there a community garden or is there somewhere that you could, you know, community gardens can be a great way um, in order to, if you don't have the land, obviously, or the space in a yard, or do you know somebody who does have some yard space that you could partner with and you guys could split the garden, uh, cost of it going in. You know, a garden is one of those things where, you know, if you're doing raised beds or containers, yes, there can be the cost of them, though you can get around with using some different things. Like I've seen where people have taken, you know, wheelbarrows and old bathtubs and put drain holes and use those to grow in for containers. You can get creative. Uh, Buckets, five-gallon buckets might not be the prettiest thing in the world, but it'll get the job done. Um, And then the money that you save by having that fresh produce, right, then you save a take some of that and and set it aside for what your the next thing is that you want to do. Um and like I said even partnering. I know people who have found in their area like where there's some land or eat like yard space and they'll ride their bicycle to go and help tend it or even if it's like a vacant lot like find the owner of that and see if it's something that they could turn into start your own community garden with people. Um so I think that where there's a will, there's a way, and it may be a lot smaller in the beginning that, than what you would want, but there definitely is way to be ways to be creative. I mean, people will grow microgreens, right? Just in a little bit of dirt, like in an old lettuce container, plastic little lettuce container, will grow microgreens, even if they don't have yard space. You don't need yard space, and it's very little amount of dirt to, do, to grow microgreens. So just starting and doing with what you can, but making up your mind to, to say, I will figure out a way to do something and then go forth and do that. Um, ACN, a day in the life 
too big full-time job with toddlers and don't know how to get started. Um, I have done some days in the life, so we will make sure that we link to those in the show notes or the blog post for this episode will be at melissaknorris.com forward slash 372 because this is episode number 372. Um, So we'll go in and link to those. But again, kind of, it feels like a, a, a theme. It's it's picking the things that are super important to you and making sure that you get those done. And we actually have a good episode I did with Rebecca Rhodes, and that was on growing a garden with kids. And I think you'll find, we'll link to that one too. I think that you'll find a lot of helpful information in there. Even though we were talking about growing a garden and homesteading, a lot of the principles um, still really apply to to homesteading in general. But I worked a day job for a number of years and we homesteaded when the kids were little and it was just picking what the priorities were. And there was stuff that I would have to do in the morning before work because if those didn't get done, you know, then they wouldn't, you know, they just wouldn't. And so kind of picking and layering things. So I knew that I didn't have time in the morning in one stretch to do an entire load of laundry. So I would put the clothes in as soon as I got up. And sometimes I'd put them in the washing machine the night before, but I just wouldn't add the water and soap, right? Like I wouldn't turn it, but that way the dirty clothes were in the washing machine. So first thing when I got up in the morning, I would turn them, turn it on so that that would be washing while we were, you know, getting dressed and the, the kids breakfast and getting them dressed and all of that. They're, you know, having having their bags because I was commuting. So I had to have their bags packed ready for the day to go to grandma and grandpa's or daycare or even, you know, if you're home, at least have their kids, the kids' clothes laid out. So in the morning, it's not something that you're having to take time on, like it's already all set out. Um, And so then we would do that. And then I would come back and the clothes would already have been through the wash cycle by then. And then I would put them out on the line before I left when weather worked for that or in the dryer. And then when I got home that night, we would actually, you know, take them out, fold them and get them put away. I knew that I didn't have time to wash a whole load, dry a whole load, fold them and get it all put them away before I left for work. Um, But I also knew if I didn't do laundry every single day, that then we would have this huge backload of laundry and I'd never get caught up. So that was just a thing of like, okay, this is, I got to break this up in the time that I do have. And we're going to make sure that this gets done every single day. Kind of the same thing. Dinner would be planned out if it was something that was going to be in the slow cooker um, or if it's something that needed to go in the fridge to be thawed so that it would be ready to cook when I got home that night. Like if anything had to be prepped, you know, I would do I would do that in the morning. Um, and so kind of just setting, basically like setting up routines and setting up, this was something that I still use to this day and was really helpful. And it was by uh, Kathy Lip, is who I first heard say this. And is whatever your evening self, so I tend to break things up like that, like my morning self or today's self compared to tomorrow's self, etc. I might not feel like doing this in the morning, but I know that my evening self is going to be really happy that I did it. And I'm not going to regret that I did it. I'm going to regret it if I don't do it. And so that kind of just helps like as a more as a mindset shift um, in order to to get things done. And again, it's picking the one thing that's most important to you right now that's going to make a big impact and just doing that one thing until it's very much a part of your routine so that it feels normal and it's an actual true habit and then stack the next thing on. 
Okay, this is from Farm and Hearth, my favorite fast meal for dinner. This is a great one. Uh, breakfast for dinner, honestly. Like when I'm like pressed for time, I'm like, okay, we are going to do something with eggs or maybe we do French toast. Like we're just going to do some type of, of breakfast. Sometimes it's pancakes. The kids love it when we have pancakes for dinner. Aside from some type of quick breakfast like that, item in place of dinner is taco meat. Like even if it's not all the way thawed, I can fry up some hamburger really quick, throw those taco seasonings on there. Obviously, if we have tortillas, it can go in that. If we've got lettuce, it can be a taco salad. If I don't, I can cook rice while I'm frying up the meat. And we just do like taco bowls. I've always got home canned salsa, cheese, like taco meat is so easy. Or just I'll do like if you have taco meat and then throw it with the eggs and make like a taco pie, which is kind of like a basically it's a taco meat quiche. Um, but taco meat's just so versatile. Or throw it on chips with cheese and you have nachos for dinner. <laughs> like, yeah. So I have to say either breakfast for dinner or some type of taco meat is one of my go-tos if I need a really favorite fast meal. And the kids are never going to say no to taco meat. Okay. Uh, Karen Elizabeth asks, we want to start growing our own food. Where do you suggest we start? I think I, I actually really already answered that a lot in and the other questions that were surrounding that. So great question, Karen Elizabeth, and kind of answered that like with what your family eats that grows in your climate and pick one thing and go from there. I also have full episodes on that as well as worksheets that are a free download from my book, The Family Garden Plan, that walk you through how do you identify that. Um, and so that I highly recommend grabbing. If you go to melissaknorris.com, and click on the book tab and go to Family Garden Plan book, you'll see where you can put your name and email in and get those sheets for free. Okay, we're nearing the end. This one actually ended up being a little bit longer than I thought it would. That question is Jennifer Liu and says, balancing prepping and buying in excess with clutter and chaos and hoarding. Jennifer Liu, this is a great question because sometimes it feels like it can be a fine line. So with Balancing prepping and buying in excess with clutter and chaos and hoarding. So one is I don't ever buy anything that I know we're not going to use. So I don't buy, for me, I don't buy like a whole bunch of MREs um, or foods that I'm not using in our everyday cooking. So I only buy things that we're already going to be using and then I'll buy them in bulk because it's going to save money and I buy, you know, what I think like will go through this in a year or maybe two years, depending on what the shelf life of something is. Um, you know, like for wheat berries, I'll buy extra because those will store for like 25 years, but flour, already pre-ground flour from the store, you know, really a, a year maybe a year and a half, and you're going to start to hit rancidity. So I kind of know what we're going to use for a year, and I'll buy that. And then, you know, as we start to get down, I'm like, okay, we've got six months left, um, then I'll buy it up. So my goal is that we always have a year's worth of most of our foundational items as far as pantry goes. So when I start to get down to only having six months left, then it's like, okay, time to buy, you know, this next set to so that we're always a year out. Um, and always rotating through it, obviously, like using the oldest first. And again, as long as I'm only buying stuff that I'm actually cooking with and making into our meals all the time, then I don't really run into 
as far as hoarding goes, because it's just, I'm just extending it out so that we've got it on hand for a set amount of time. I think hoarding is more when you have so much stuff and it's stuff that you're never going to lose and you just don't ever throw away anything. And so that's not, that's not what we're, what we do. So I'm not really worried about that. It's stuff that we're consuming and going through or, you know, a backup part so that I've got a, you know, backup pieces for my pressure canner. So if it goes out in summertime, I don't have to wait to get that part in. I can just simply replace it and go on my way. Um, Now, as far as the organization, though, and the clutter and chaos part, yeah, you definitely need to have spots for things and be organized, know where things are at, because you otherwise you run into where, oh, I'm pretty sure we have this part or I have this thing, but I don't know where it is. And I've just wasted so much time trying to find it. I'm just going to go and buy it again because I need it right now and I can't find it. That doesn't serve anybody. And too much clutter. Uh, there's a lot of negative things to color clutter as far as your um, your mindset, even if you don't think it. Like your brain has to make decisions about clutter and it's subconscious. You don't realize it, but your brain, when there's a lot of clutter out, your brain is like, do I need to do something with that? Should I do something with that? And it's making it so fast, you don't even know that it's happening, but you get fatigue, like you get mental fatigue from it. So there's actually been quite a few studies done on clutter and the negative impact it has that we don't realize. Really pretty fascinating. But that being said, like my house is not minimalist by any means because I am a homesteader, but I have found that it's a good rule of thumb. And definitely we will link to and listen to some of the decluttering episodes and organization episodes that we've done. But a really good rule of thumb is if this broke today, would I go and buy its replacement immediately? And so that can be a tool of helping you decide, do I keep this? Do I get rid of this? Um, And again, like I don't usually buy things unless I know we're gonna be using them. So if it's like a replacement part, then I know that I use my pressure canner all the time and that I wanna have a replacement part for it because if if that part broke, then that's gonna be really detrimental to us putting up our food. Like it's something I use all the time. So I think you just have to be really honest with yourself, really, truly, and really, really think about it. Do I need this? Are we going to use it? And if we are going to use it, in what time frame? Or if it's a tool, like, is this truly helping us get get stuff done? Or is just just another tool that adds to the clutter? And then making sure everything has a place. Um, doing inventories, especially sometimes this could be with parts and like farm, you know, animal feed, etc. But doing an inventory, especially on your food, so that you do know what you have, amounts, you know, dates when it was purchased, kind of put some best buy there, um, so that you have records of things too. Because sometimes it can be like, oh, I think we bought blah 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 blah. But if you don't have a good system in place, then you're not really sure. And then you also don't know like, well, okay, I bought this and I thought we were going to go through this much, but we're not going through it as fast as I thought. So I probably shouldn't buy as much or, you know, I know that I don't need to buy this every six months. This is something that I only need to buy once a year or maybe every other year, depending on what it is. Um, So really just having true clarity on how much you have and how much you're using it and if you really truly need it and if the cost of the item and the space that it requires is worth it. So 
what I mean by that is I know like even my dad has had things that he has stored literally for 30 years, literally. And lo and behold, something is broke on an old piece of equipment and he went and got that part out and did end up using it 30 years down the road. So you'd be like, okay, well, that was justifiable. However, that's like one thing. <laughs> and there's a lot of other things that were in that shed that he never, ever used. And 50 years after he put it there, the shed fell down and all of it ended up just being taken to the um, scrap metal, what you could, you know, et cetera. So that was a lot of stuff that completely went to waste and filled, you know, filled up an area. And so was it worth it that there was that one part 30 years down the road that he needed? And that's going to be something that I don't have the answer to that necessarily. Like each person has to ask themselves that. But there's some things where I'm like, no, it's not worth the space for the cost of what the item is. And I know that I can get this item. For me, it's not worth it to the space to store this one. So you kind of have to ask, you have to, again, it comes back down to kind of prioritizing what that's going to be for you. Okay, last question. And this is from Ross Kelly and asks, what is my favorite podcast? This again was one that was really hard for me to answer because I don't, honestly, I don't have a favorite podcast. I tend to be very all or nothing person. So what I mean by that is like when I am learning about a subject, I am all in on that subject and I will binge a podcast. Like once I find a podcast that's on a subject that I'm interested in, I will binge that podcast and I will listen to almost nothing but that podcast. Like if they've got a back, you know, a back playlist. Um, and so I'll listen to that podcast for probably like two months until I've learned what I think I want to learn about that subject. And then some, if that podcast is more lifestyle and like they have stuff that keeps me engaged, et cetera, then I probably will still keep listening to it. But I, I found that I, that's how I tend to consume a podcast. Like I'll just listen to the whole podcast, all the back episodes. Um, and then sometimes I'll keep up with it and sometimes I won't. So I don't really have a favorite. So for example, we are doing the farm stay, which is basically a short-term vacation rental. So many people are familiar with Airbnb, et cetera. And so I have never done that. I have never had a short-term vacation rental house. I've never I've never operated that. Um, I've not been in the hospitality business, which that is what that is. And so I'm like, I really need to learn and educate myself before, like, as I'm building this out, like, I don't want to just learn by making mistakes. I want to learn from people who have experience in this and in this industry. And I know I still will make mistakes, but I want to try to minimize them as much as possible. So I found a podcast. Um, it's called, let's see, I'm going to actually pull it up on my app here. And I know this probably won't relate to a lot of you because you probably were thinking like that I listen to a lot of other homestead podcasts or something within that nature. But it's the Vacation Rental Success Podcast by Heather Bayer. And Heather has been in the short-term vacation rental business for like over 20 years and has also managed like tons of different properties. And so it's kind of like even with raising livestock, right? Like you're going to learn so much by raising 10 chickens 
But if you raise 200 chickens a year, even though you both have only been raising chickens for a year, the person who's raising 200 chickens for a year is going to naturally learn a lot more because they're going to experience a lot more uh, different scenarios than someone with just 10 chickens will. And so I wanted to really learn from someone who had been managing a lot of properties over a lot of time and had experienced it a lot of different situations. So I binged my way through that podcast and I learned so much. Like there were so many things I'm like, oh, I never even thought of that, uh, that we've been able to put in place. Um, And so I can't say that I really have a favorite podcast. I tend to binge. And then there's some that I listen to here and there. And a lot of what I listen to is business podcasts. Uh, that because I feel like I've given myself a complete education, a college education on business through podcasts and courses and stuff on entrepreneurship and just all those different things. Um, but I do listen to Beyond Labels with which is Joel Salatin's podcast. I do listen to that one. And I'll kind of just like pick my way around again, like if it's a subject that I'm really wanting to learn about. So if I'm wanting to learn about, you know, herbs in a specific way or a specific herb, I'll just do a search and see what podcasts that I can find on that um, and listen to them that way. So yeah, I don't really have a favorite podcast. And I kept trying to to think about that, like, okay, what is my favorite podcast? I had to finally realize I don't have one. And that might be weird, but I love podcasts. I just don't have an actual favorite. Well, I hope that you guys have enjoyed this series. I have found it really, really fun. And we've got more guests coming up for you in the new year and a lot more things to talk about, which, by the way, if you want to check out the short-term vacation rental and come and stay on the farm with us at the farm stay, you can go and look at norrisfarmstead.com and see more about the property and the rooms and all of that fun stuff. We would love to see you. And you will also see a picture of, which I will be doing an episode on in the new year, our new herd of Scottish Highlanders that I'm very, very excited about. But we are going to take a break next week from the podcast and we'll be back here with you right at the new year. So I hope you have a wonderful holiday season. Blessings and mason jars for now.